Today, we are going to be entering into God's Word. We are in a series called Now What? Because I think that's kind of the question in a lot of our minds. Now what? Uh, it's kind of a scary question. You don't want to ask what's around the corner because who would have predicted where we are now, right? Uh, in our nation and around the world. But the reason we called it Now What? is simply this. We believe that as believers, as followers of Christ, this is a moment we need to deeply examine our beliefs. We need to deeply examine what we believe and how we walk out those beliefs because you know what? We can say we believe something all day long, but unless we act on it, we really don't believe it. There's a great disconnect around our land from what people say they believe and how they are behaving. There's a great disconnect of how we say we love everybody and yet how we treat others. So when we come into this statement, we're asking ourselves, what is it that we believe or who is it that we believe? Because beliefs are powerful. They, they shape not only our character, they also shape our destiny. It literally, what we believe should be seen in our behavior, but there is this disconnect so often between what we profess and how we live our lives. Can I tell you a truth this morning? And this may be a semantic thing. It may be something you just have to play with a bit. But Jesus did not come and die on the cross and, raise, and rise from the grave to have believers. He died on the cross and rose from the grave to have disciples of Christ who literally act out their faith on a moment-by-moment, day-to-day basis, and not only part-time, but always, because a believer is one says, I can ascend to that understanding of that statement, but a, a disciple is one says, no, I live accordingly, and I act accordingly, and I, and I walk it out day by day. So for the next several weeks, we're going to be teaching how our belief system, we all have one, affects our lives, and hopefully, we're going to close the disconnect. Hopefully we're going to close the disconnect. Do you believe God is able to do that? Because it's an act of God. It's, it's an act of will agreeing with God, but it's also an act of the Holy Spirit within us. Last week we talked about what do we believe when life turns upside down? What do we believe about the storms that God is with us? That he, we're in the storm with his knowledge. We're in the storm with his presence and we're also in there with his purpose. God is doing something in us. My goodness, I hope we don't hit 2021 and we're the same as we were coming into 2020. My goodness, I hope, I hope you're changed. I hope I'm changed. I hope my thinking has changed. I hope my action has changed. Why? Because God has gotten our attention and he's asking us to walk in the paths of righteousness. So today what I want to talk about is what do we believe when we are faced with conflict? What do we believe when we are faced with disagreement with others, or, or as some would even say, maybe even persecution? Because the scripture we're going to read today is in a section of scripture where Peter was talking to a church that was being persecuted, and he gave some instruction that really comes to the heart of how we live this life among the, not only the body of Christ, but among the world, where God has called us to be ambassadors for Christ. So pick it up in 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. It'll be on the screens this morning. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 says, Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what? Somebody talk to me. Evil. Whether it's in marriage, 
whether it's in business, whether it's in society in general, our beliefs determine our actions, and they're also most evident in our communications. How we speak, how we address, how we greet, how we speak of people. You know, words are powerful. Do you recognize that? In fact, the Bible says the power of death and life are in our words. But we have a disconnect so often between the lips that praise God on Sundays and speak words or write words towards others all week long. And it's wrong. And God gives us in his word an understanding of how our speech and our communication are to be. In fact, in Ephesians it said, let no unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, but only that which is edifying others. And in our day today, let's clarify, there was no social media when the Bible was written. So just because you don't say it doesn't mean you don't say it. Come on, people. And over the years, there's a lot of words that honestly cause difficulty when maybe they shouldn't. Over the years, there are things like, I don't, y'all know me, I don't like catchphrases. I really don't. I, I, I just, I grew up in church. The church has catchphrases. How you doing, brother? Oh, hallelujah, God is good. No, really, how you doing? You know, it's, we, we can say things without even meaning them. And over the years, there's been catchphrases that I just cringe at. One, one of those over the years was this. He'd say, how you doing? Oh, it's all good. Really? Walk with me for a few days. There's not a whole lot of good about this world. And for you to say it's all good is ignorant or just blind or something, I don't understand that because guess what? God never said it's all good, but he said he is good and he will work together all things for our good, right? When we trust him. There are phrases like that. Back in the 80s and 90s, there was one like no fear. You saw it on you know, what I call Bubba trucks. They had Bubba trucks and no fear on the back. You know, and then you have the response, fear this, Jesus. And I'm like, oh, that's the wrong message too. You know, we really struggle with messaging. And we don't know what to say because, again, it makes difference to how people perceive it. Right now, many are struggling with a phrase that is an absolute truth. Black lives matter. We struggle with that, right? Because what, what are people doing? Good Christians are like, yeah, but all lives matter. Yes, they do. But you're missing the point. I don't have to agree with an organization. I do not agree with that organization totally, but I agree with that statement. You see, we're missing the point with trying to be right to those who we want to be right with. We would rather have likes than to be righteous before God. You see, Jesus was quick to call out certain people and let everyone know they mattered, especially when they needed to know that they mattered. I mean, you think about it. Put your mind in the Gospels for a moment. There was a time where he took a little child, set the child on my lap, and basically saying, people, children, matter. Because in that culture, they didn't. There were times when he, when he brought to a point with women to say, listen, women matter. Because in that culture, they were nothing more than property. He said widows mattered when the church began, and that's why we had deacons formed in the early church. He said Gentiles matter, and we ought to say praise God to that. He said, Samaritans matter. One time even he stood up and he said, blessed are the poor. Man, if he did that in our day, some joker that Jesus bumper sticker ever would be like texting like, well, don't you know, Jesus, everybody, blessed are everybody. And he would put the emoji shaking his head like, you just don't get it. I'm trying to tell you the poor matter. And what we're saying is this. God speaks to every one of us and says we have infinite value in him. Incredible value. And if we don't see that, then we are being hypocritical to our beliefs when we're making statements trying to be right instead of being truthful. And if someone says black, wise, matter, we say amen, they do. And let us do our part to make sure they understand that.
But there's another phrase, and this one I'll be honest, I struggled with over the years, and I found myself repenting because I kept correcting people because I just didn't like the way it came out. And that would be people say, well, I want to share with you my truth. I'm like, your truth? Now, maybe I'm being a little legalistic in the moment. I'm thinking there's only one truth, and that's the Word of God. So what is this my truth stuff? And, and I would struggle with that, and I'd always retort something stupid about that. And I, when the reality was this. Though my response was correct, that there's only one truth that matters, the truth of God's Word, I was being totally deaf to what people were trying to say. Because what they were trying to say to me was this, my story, or my opinion based on my story, matters. And my struggle was this, what I was hearing was, well, they're saying to me, I'm believing something that doesn't line up with what, what I believe to be the truth, but the root of the matter was this, I never walked their story. I never experienced what they experienced. And so I'd shut down the value of their humanity because I was trying to make a point about the truth of God's word. Listen, guys, we have to understand our communication matters, especially in the points of conflict, disagreement, or persecution. Because at the root of most conflict is pure communication. It's, it's someone saying one thing and someone hearing something else. Come on, married folk, how much is, has that happened in your house? Right? That's why in premarital counseling, we teach you to say to stop and say, what I heard you say is this, but what I heard is this, and that usually leads to some understanding. But we forget that quickly. You see, the Bible's clear that conflict is an opportunity for us to let our light shine and point people to Christ, and we would all say, yes, we agree with that. But there's a disconnect for many between what they believe and how they act. So in this text today, Peter gives us these five statements, these five attitudes that he said, we learn to walk in these, guess what? We would bring peace, we would bring joy, we'd bring value, we would bring the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ into whatever circumstance we walk into. But we've got to practice what we believe. So let's pick it up here. He starts out by saying, if we're going to be a people that are peacemakers, if we're going to be people that are blessing others, he said, number one, we've got to learn to be like-minded. Learn to be like-minded. Have a unity of mind or one mind. That does not mean we're going to always believe the same thing among ourselves. I mean, think about it. Even in church, why are there different churches and denominations? Because outside of the main thing, which is the main thing, that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, there, there are things that we will disagree with because the Bible kind of left some things open. And it's okay. But when he says we are like-minded, we are coming to the place where we are saying to those around us, I'm going to do my best, and this is the goal of this, I'm going to do my best to see your side of the issue. I'm going to do my best to see your side of the problem. I mean, it goes, it goes without saying, we don't agree on much. If we went out to lunch today, we wouldn't agree on much. If we went to a barbecue place, we'd argue over vinegar or, or like ketchup base, right? We'd argue over pork or beef. And if you're a Texan, come on, you know it is beef all the time. It's called brisket. It's what's real barbecue, not this chopped pig stuff. But we disagree. We see problems from different experiences. Why? Because we experience it differently. It's a great example. It's what we grew up with. It's what we're accustomed to. But really what it brings is a perspective that we are convinced is the only right perspective. And we have that, we cause division instead of unity. I mean, think about it. Jesus encountered one day a, a Samaritan woman at a well. If you remember the story, the disciples came back and they didn't see her as someone who was in need. They saw her as a problem. What are you doing talking to that woman? Don't you know she's a Samaritan? There were racial prejudice of their past they were coming out with and speaking against her when Jesus was just engaging one of his own creation. 
The Pharisees saw the woman who came and anointed the feet of Jesus before he was crucified and, and washed his feet with her hair. They saw her through the lens of her reputation and her past sinfulness. They said, oh, if you knew who was touching you right now, you wouldn't let her do that. But Jesus saw both these women as his creation, his beloved, that were far from God and needed the love he was expressing on the cross. It was a different perspective. One led to death, the other led to life. So the question we're facing today is, can we come to agreement about controversial issues without becoming enemies? Or can we disagree about issues without becoming enemies? Because right now that's all there is. I'm either going to cancel you or I'm going to like you. Guys, if we don't get this right, I fear for the church of Jesus Christ in America. If we don't get this right in this season, why do we expect heaven to be what heaven's going to be if we don't get it right here? Jesus didn't die to become a political party. Can I get an amen? He didn't die for white people or brown people or black people or red. It doesn't matter. He died for all creation. And at the foot of the cross, we stand even. We stand level. But church, we got to act on that. You see, too often we're seeking the approval of man instead of the approval of God. Too often we want to be liked instead of righteous. And when we're faced with controversial matters, they divide us. We need to understand each other's perspectives. Listen, I've learned over the years, I'm not threatened by a different perspective. It doesn't threaten me at all for someone to have a different opinion than mine. In fact, when my perspective meets their perspective, we tend to have progress. There's some type of understanding. It may lead to the point we can't agree. Listen, I will go to my death over the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I won't change that. I won't agree if someone's trying to make a false gospel out of it. But I'm not going to make them my enemy. I'm going to pray for them because Jesus died for them. And they need to know the same God that I know that brings life into us. So the goal of those like-minded is, can I be open to see your side of the problem? The second is just similar to that. He said, be sympathetic. That word means feeling together, feeling together. The Apostle Paul said we are to rejoice with those who what? Help me. Rejoice, right? And we're to weep with those that weep. What he was saying, there's this place of understanding. Can I enter into the feelings of what someone else's experience? I mean, let's be honest. What does it feel like to be a person of color in our society today? I can't answer that. I'm white as white. I can't answer that. What does it feel like? What fears, rejection, abuse do they feel in their heart on a daily basis? I can't answer that. I was walking up from the parking lot a few weeks ago to serve at the food pantry, and, and I was watching. There were three, you know, we were two and a half hours before we even started, and there were already like 20 cars there. And I was like, God, what is up with that? And it hit me clearly. He said, Mike, have you ever lacked food? No, I haven't. I get, I get hangry if dinner's late. Come on. You see, can I enter into someone else's experience? That's what he's saying. Can I enter into that place where now I'm feeling what they feel? Because now I, as I enter into that, now I'm showing them the love of Christ. Think about it. So when Mary and Martha got really upset with Jesus because their brother Lazarus died, remember that? I mean, they were mad. If you read that scripture, they were like trying to be nice, but inside they were seething. How dare you, Jesus? You could have prevented this. Why didn't you come? And instead of Jesus lecturing them like, hey, get over it. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to raise them. They're dead. It'll be all right. No, what does he do? He sat and he wept with them. 
He wept in the brokenness of their humanity. He wept in that moment. He entered into their pain, and he entered into their sorrow. You see, when we can truly feel the negative emotions others are feeling, we will not rest until we find a way to, to bring them total relief. That's what sympathetic means. I want to do everything I can if I can understand what you're feeling to help you find peace and to help you find joy. That's the goal. Can I, can I really do that? So he said we are to be one mind. We're to be sympathetic. He said, thirdly, we're to be people who express brotherly love. We are to love one another. Someone once said, all we need is love. I think they may have been onto something. After all, God is love. That's the only way you describe him. But what does it mean to have brotherly love in a time when we're so divided? What does it mean to have brotherly love when it is so caustic? Brotherly love simply means this. This was the goal of it. Can I see someone for who they really are? Can I see someone for who they really are? Early in my ministry career, I had the privilege of attending school out in Los Angeles under the teaching of Dr. Jack Hayford, one of my, my, my mentors that I'm just so thankful for. And he set me free of something as a young pastor. I grew up in a church that was, was very legalistic. It, it, was, it was hard. Man, it was turn or burn. I mean, it, you know what I'm talking about. And, and I forget, he, he said to us one day in class, that if you'll change your perspective of people, you'll change your ministry. He said, if all you see is sinners and saints, it's always about a decision. But if you see people as broken or whole, it's about a relationship. Boy, it rocked my world. So now when I see someone that is broken, now so when I see someone who is, who is lashing out because of inequities and justice, and I, I see them in that way, now I recognize them as God's creation that he loves and he's empathizing with, and he's entering into that pain, and he's recognized them for who they are. You see, when I love someone, I see them for who they are. We are all human beings made in the image of God. We were created for his pleasure, so he must absolutely love the beautiful variety of his creation. Would you agree with that? He must absolutely love the diversity he created in his family. Otherwise, we'd all be the same, and that'd just be boring, wouldn't it? Come on. You see, when you see people for who they are, you see them as God saw them when he created them and said it is very good. That's why in Galatians, Paul wrote in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Isn't that awesome? You look and say, well, how do I value somebody? We are all one in Christ Jesus. Because when we see beyond the color of another's skin or the thickness of their accent, come on, Southerners, or their gender or their occupation, we see their hearts. And we see someone's heart, we will spend eternity, hopefully in heaven with them. So on earth, let's walk as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're so quick to divide. We're so quick to separate. And God said, let us walk as one. There's a fourth attitude. And that is that we are to have a tender heart. A tender heart, be compassionate. And really the goal of that is simply, I put it in your notes, is this. Can I love someone and be compassionate even when their outward expression of pain or anger is not how I would see myself responding? I hear a lot of that. Oh, I would never do that. Oh, I wouldn't be angry like that. Oh, you haven't felt what some have felt. You haven't been where they've been. The Bible says our heart is exceedingly deceitful. We don't even know what's in there. And we've got to be careful because the Bible warns us against hardening our hearts. What, what does a hardened heart look like? 
You see, a hardened heart is stubborn. It's my way or the highway. A hardened heart will not adapt. It will not change. A hardened heart is harsh, aggressive, attacking, just downright mean. It holds grudges. It is bitter. It's deep-seething anger against certain groups and persons. And if not checked, it will lead to destructive behavior. That's what God warned us not to have. That our hearts will be so soft that we understand this next scripture applies to us not just in a one-time one read it, but every single moment of every single day. Why? In Ephesians 4, 32, he says this. He said, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. In our church in Waco, Texas years ago, I had a man that, he was my buddy. He would show up at church at the church every Monday morning. He'd be sitting in his truck when I got there and he was retired. He, 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 was, he shouldn't have retired. He had way too much energy. And he's like, Pastor, what are we doing today? And I'm like, I was going to study, but I don't know about you. We were just, I mean, he was always there, so I'd always find some project for him to do. And over the time we were together, we developed a great relationship. And one day we were standing out by his truck and he started weeping. This is a man's man. I'm like, dude, what is up? I mean, he's 70, he's in his 80s weeping. And I'm like, what's going on? He was a World War II vet. He said, Pastor, to this day, I've never been able to look at a person from Asia and not hate them. He said, I, I fought against the Japanese. I am so full of hate. I cannot, I cannot continue to live this way. And we prayed together that day, and I saw God set a man gloriously free of something that came out of an experience that led to this hardness that he knew. He knew it was wrong. All those years carried it. And I watch God set him free. And I can't wait to see him in heaven. I can't wait to celebrate with him. Why? Because God did something in him that he does when our hearts are tender. So this assignment I give you today is go to this week and read 1 Corinthians 13. Examine your heart. Is it tender? Is it forgiving? Can it overlook offenses, prejudices, stereotypes, inherited attitudes? Why? Because if we have a tender, soft heart towards God, the Holy Spirit will guide us to love others. He'll impact us positively. And before long, we will see those that have hard hearts will be praying for them instead of angry with him. And finally, the last attitude he had, and he said that we are to have a humble mind. We're to be humble. There's a little town outside of Houston called Humble, Texas. Their motto was, it's hard to be humble when you're from humble. And I think a lot of believers say it's hard to be humble, period. Because one of the last things that dies in our, in our sinfulness, one of the last things that dies in our, our, our flesh when we come to know Christ is our feelings of superiority. You see, the goal of humility is this. Can I see you as better than me? Can I see you as better than me? In our culture, we have always been raised as your number one. You can do anything. We'll give you a trophy for anything. Why? Because we want you to understand you're number one. And yet if we read the Bible, the Bible says there's only one who's number one. That is our God. And oh, by the way, he tells us, look around you, because when you really recognize the mind of Christ working in you, you'll recognize that God says we're actually to see others as better than ourselves. Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather than humility, value others above yourselves. That's a strong teach, isn't it? That's a strong reach. I battle that. Do you battle that? I battle that. I'm pretty judgmental. I have to fight it all the time. I go into a room. I was trained. Mike, you're the smartest one there. Just, come on, they should listen to you. I battle that. 
I've trained out of, out of a family of success which says you can do anything. I battle that. I just think I can do anything. And sometimes I forget to say through Christ who strengthens me. But humility shapes your heart to a point where you take the back seat in the room and you let others be blessed. Because in doing so, you're letting God honor his creation around you. Can I tell you, this is going to sound strong, I'm going to wrap it up. But a high-minded, proud, arrogant attitude is not just a bad thing. It's satanic. It's satanic. It was his pride that led to his downfall. It was his self-flattery and superiority that led to his downfall. And those are the very same things that have to break in us and that were broken at the cross when our Savior hung before the world, bloodied and broken, so that we would see his love and compassion. Listen, these five attitudes aren't going to solve all our problems. But can I tell you, if we learn to walk in them, if we ask the Holy Spirit to do a work in us, if we ask the Holy Spirit to enable us to live out these teachings, especially in loving our neighbors as ourselves, guess what? We've laid a foundation for the light of Christ to shine through us. And instead of being contentious, instead of trying to be right to our followers, one day I hope to stand before God and hear, well done. Well done. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you. God, that nowhere in your word did you dodge the realities of humanity. God, your son Jesus was the perfect high priest who was tempted in every way we are yet without sin. But Lord, even now, your Holy Spirit is in us to believe and your Holy Spirit is working in this world, God. God, that what we see happening is not all that's happening, God, because you're working your purpose, God, for your kingdom's sake, God, for your glory. And God, I pray today, God, for me, I pray for my family, I pray for our church, I pray for our community, God, that, Father, we wake up to the truths of your word. And God, not settle for being Christian, but God, we push forward to be disciples of Christ. For God, our highest desire is to reflect you wherever we are. Lord, I pray you help us to see that the things that, Lord God, sometimes maybe anger us or the things that because of our past, God, we don't understand or the things, oh God, that, Father, we just want to give everybody our opinion about. Lord, help us to see, God, that, Lord, the greatest communication you've ever asked us to give is one. And that is to point others to your saving grace because you're the solution. God, you're the answer. God, it's not another election. God, it's not a change in a law. God, you're the answer. I pray that through us we shape things, yes, God. But we shape them for your glory and for your honor, God, so that your creation, God, will be blessed. Father, I'm so thankful the scripture we read today was in the section where you said that we are to be ready always to give an answer to the hope that's within us. God, with gentleness and respect, God. God, it's so, it sounds so counterintuitive in a section where we're talking about being persecuted or misunderstood, God. But Lord, you said we, you would be better that we are misunderstood, God, and loving than to say we're right and be hateful. So God, help us to love people the way you do. Help them to see themselves as your creation. And Lord, help them to receive, God, your forgiveness and grace. With our heads bowed, we're about to enter into a time of response, of communion. I hope you, you received a communion cup on your way in today. If you're at home watching, you have a moment to prepare. But 
while we're seated with our heads bowed right now, I preached myself into conviction in this sermon long before you heard it. We all must deal with the word. We all must say, God, what are you saying to me? And God, what is it you want to do in me, Father, about that? And my request to you today is this. If you're listening to this, this ministry or you're in person here at home and you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, it's the only thing, it's the only occurrence, it's the only experience that will help you make sense out of anything in life. But not only life here, but give you the hope of eternity with God forever. And he invites you to come in today and receive of him his forgiveness, his grace. And let him begin to shape and change you into what his original creation was before sin entered in and messed it all up. So right where you are, ask, ask Jesus to become your Lord. Right where you are, humble yourself and invite him in. Surrender your life. Have faith that he did what he said he did. Believe that he is the Son of God. And let faith take over. His grace will come in. Oh, and it'll change everything. For those of us that have made that decision and are trying to live it out, Paul warned in Galatians. He warned, he says, what, you, what was begun in the Spirit, don't continue to try to carry it out in the flesh. Folks, we need the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Otherwise, we're only as good as our own self-efforts. But God wants to supercharge our lives by the power of His Holy Spirit. So right where you are, just open your arms to the Lord right now as I pray over you. Then we're going to receive communion. Father, God, minister to us by your Spirit right now. For those that don't know you, I know you're revealing yourself to them, oh God. May they receive your salvation, forgiveness today, God. And let all of heaven rejoice as your word promises it will. And God, for those of us that have made that choice, that are being checked now by your Holy Spirit and our spirit, man, God, forgive us. God, cleanse us. Let us know what repentance is, God. It's not I'm saying I'm sorry, Lord, it's a turn. It's a change. And God, let all those we interact with see the difference. God, as we walk with the attitude of the mind of Christ. God, I love you. God, I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.